Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, June 4th. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. Here are today's headlines. Marching for change in all 50 states, tens of thousands continuing to march for change, a ninth night of mostly peaceful protests in honor of George Floyd. Additional charges in Minneapolis of four officers involved in the death of George Floyd, all facing charges. Derek Chauvin now accused of second-degree murder. And breaking with Trump, several military leaders, both current and former, breaking with President Trump over his efforts to potentially use the military against protesters. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. We begin today with another night of peaceful protests around the country. Connected to the death of George Floyd, police dispersed pockets of chaos in certain places. Former President Barack Obama weighs in on the situation and Floyd's family gets ready to say goodbye. In different cities, scenes like this one in Colorado, people coming together for justice. Wednesday night saw mostly peaceful protests. With small pockets of chaos plaguing day nine of protests over the death of George Floyd. Police engaging with peaceful protesters in Brooklyn and tear gas used in New Orleans to disperse a crowd. In Minneapolis, where Floyd died, cheers as new charges were announced against all officers involved. We got all four! Yeah, we got all four! The new charges, just one of the demands protesters have. Across the country, thousands saying there is still work to do. I still think it's not enough, but I'm so happy that we're moving towards change because a few years ago, I don't think this would have happened. Former President Barack Obama praising the efforts of demonstrators across the nation. I just have to say thank you to them for helping to bring about this moment and just make sure that we now follow through. As many Americans continue to press for justice for Floyd and others who've died at the hands of police brutality, his family's attorney calling the moment a tipping point within the country. After so much effort on everybody's part, you finally have these murderers being arrested and brought to a court of law to answer for their crimes. And from Minnesota, where people are still fighting for change, the governor says the message is clear. I think this is probably our last shot. Um, as a state and as a nation to fix this systemic issue. The systemic issues and the systemic racism and the lack of accountability uh, up and down our society that led to a daytime murder of a black man on a street in Minneapolis. Those who knew George Floyd refer to him as a gentle giant, a family man. He will be remembered in a series of memorial services that start today. And all four officers involved in the killing of George Floyd now arrested and charged, something protesters had been pushing for across the country. Floyd's family saying the new charges are bittersweet. An arrest is not a conviction. Andrea Linares has more on the investigation. All four officers have been charged! This crowd in Minneapolis erupting as word spread that all four fired Minneapolis police officers are now charged in connection to George Floyd's death. Derek Chauvin, the officer seen with his knee on Floyd's neck, now facing upgraded second and third degree murder along with manslaughter charges, while the other three officers are charged with aiding and abetting. 
Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison said the prosecution would be difficult. George Floyd mattered. He was loved. His family was important. His life had value. And we will seek justice for him and for you. And we will find it. A longtime friend of Floyd was in the passenger seat of Floyd's car during the fatal encounter. Maurice Lester Hall is now a key witness in the state's investigation. Hall, who had outstanding warrants for his arrest, fled the scene and was tracked down in Houston. He was arrested and interviewed by investigators. He also recently described Floyd's last moments to The New York Times. He was from the beginning trying in his humblest form to show he was not resisting in no form or way. He went on to say, I could hear him pleading, please officer, what's all this for? He was just crying out at that time for anyone to help because he was dying. Floyd's son, Quincy, visiting the growing memorial at the site of his father's final moments. I'm trying to get just for my father. And no, no man or woman should, uh, should be without their fathers. But despite the videos and witnesses, the Minneapolis state attorney is offering this warning. After so much effort on everybody's part, you finally have these murderers being arrested and brought to a court of law to answer for their crimes. Meanwhile, a new report from the Hennepin County Medical Examiner's Office reveals that Floyd was also a coronavirus survivor. It turns out he had tested positive for the virus on April 3rd, but was an asymptomatic carrier without lung damage. In general, it's difficult to convict a cop anywhere, but a Minneapolis police officer was actually convicted last year. Mohammed Noor's conviction marks the first guilty verdict for a fatal shooting by an on-duty cop in Minnesota in decades. We will now have to wait and see how this case at hand plays out. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. And three men have been charged with inciting violence during recent demonstrations in Las Vegas, according to the U.S. attorney there. All three are Las Vegas residents and alleged members of the Boogaloo movement, a term used by extremists to signify a coming civil war. The suspects are 35-year-old Stephen Parshall, 23-year-old Andrew Leenum, and 40-year-old William Loomis. In a federal complaint filed on Tuesday, the men are charged with trying to use Molotov cocktails and improvised explosives in the riots. When taken into state custody, law enforcement found weapons and firebomb making material. In addition to the federal charges, they are also facing local charges. On Capitol Hill, the Senate passed a bill that gives payment protection plan recipients more flexibility. Senators passed the Bipartisan Paycheck Protection Program Flexibility Act Wednesday night. The measure gives businesses more time to use loan money under the payment protection program, which was designed to help them during the coronavirus pandemic. It extends the original eight weeks businesses had to spend the loan money to qualify for forgiveness to 24 weeks. The bill also lowers how much of the money must be used to fund payroll from 75 percent down to 60 percent. The measure passed the House last week and now must get to President Donald Trump for signature to become law. Meanwhile, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi on Wednesday joined a crowd of demonstrators outside the Capitol protesting police brutality toward African-Americans following the death of George Floyd. 
Pelosi wore a mask and was accompanied by her usual entourage of staff and security while walking through the crowd. Pelosi's, Pelosi's show of solidarity with the protesters comes as House Democrats weigh legislative options for responding to the public outrage over the recent string of deaths of unarmed African Americans. And now to the latest on that extraordinary rebuke of President Trump by his former defense secretary, General Jim Mattis, blasting the president, portraying him as a divisive force and a threat to the Constitution. Claudio Seda has details from Washington, D.C. Good afternoon from Washington. We are just outside of the White House and protesters continue to arrive and also continue to arrive federal agents, National Guards, and that is precisely what is causing controversy. With, with the National Guard taking positions in cities around the country and national monuments, James Mattis, the president's former secretary of defense, is saying enough is enough. This after Trump threatened to dispatch active military forces and after troops were deployed against peaceful protesters for a Trump photo op outside of a DC church. In a blistery essay in The Atlantic, Mattis writes, Never did I dream that troops taking that same oath will be ordered under any circumstance to violate the constitutional rights of fellow citizens, much less to provide a bizarre photo op for the elected commander-in-chief with military leadership standing alongside. Mattis called Trump's actions a threat to the Constitution and criticized the president for dividing the American people. Mattis, who resigned over Trump's serious policy, has been one of Trump's favorites. Mad Dog Mattis, he's our best. They say he's the closest thing to General George Patton that we have. But overnight, the president's firing back at Mattis, tweeting, his primary strength was not military, but rather personal public relations. I gave him a new life, things to do, and battles to win, but he seldom brought home the bacon. Glad he's gone. But the current Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, is defying Trump as well, saying he does not support calling up Arctic duty troops, which will require evoking the Insurrection Act. The option to use active duty forces in a law enforcement role should only be used as a matter of last resort and only in the most urgent and dire of situations. We are not in one of those situations now. I do not support invoking the Insurrection Act. But the White House is not backing down and is making it clear the president is still very much considering calling in active duty troops. He has the sole authority to invoke the Insurrection Act, and if necessary, he will do so to protect American citizens. And retired Marine General John Allen also criticized Trump. He led U.S. forces against the fight to ISIS. During the Obama administration, he is basically saying that the use of military forces here with demonstrators will be the beginning of the end of democracy. Now, back to you.
Thank you, Claudia Oceda, reporting from Washington, D.C. And six Atlanta police officers were booked on Wednesday following a tasing incident over the weekend. Officer Roland Cloud is facing criminal trespass, a misdemeanor charge, while five others have been charged with felony aggravated assault. They also face a variety of misdemeanor charges that were announced on Tuesday. The officers were caught on video breaking the car window of two students on their way back from a protest. The video then showed the officers tasing a man and yanking a woman out of the car. Two officers were later fired and all six suspects are now out on bond. Loud calls demanding police reform inevitably follow high-profile cases like that of George Floyd. But change within police departments is often difficult to achieve, in large part due to the power of police labor unions. Joining us to discuss this is Daniel DiSalvo. He's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute and a professor at the City College of New York. Daniel, let's start with what is the main purpose of a police labor union? A police labor union is like any other labor union in the public or private sector. Its main goal is to win better salary, better benefits, and more job protections for its members. Some union contracts limit the amount of time that officers accused of misconduct can be interviewed for and when those interviews can be conducted. Other labor contracts allow the expunging of records after two years. Why is that problematic? Well, both uh, all of these kinds of provisions in police contracts that, you know, police inevitably uh, have an adversarial relationship sometimes with the communities they serve. And police have a lot of job protections written into these contracts. So all the processes by which an officer accused of misconduct is investigated um, can be a very long and uh, windy process filled with paperwork. And in that respect, the, these issues here are just about um, whether management has sufficient ability to, in, in a way, manage its own workforce. If you don't, for example, have good records of police conduct going back historically, it's hard to put any individual incident in context. And Daniel, staying on contracts, some contracts also allowed officers to challenge disciplinary actions such as firings and suspensions. How does that make reform more difficult? Well, it, it, you, if some bad apples are able to exploit uh, contract rules to avoid being dismissed or disciplined, that can really poison a whole organizational culture and make it difficult for mayors and police chiefs to enact the kind of cultural change that police forces really need to maintain trust with the communities that they serve. 18 complaints had been filed against Officer Chauvin. He's the officer who knelt on George Floyd's neck. What does that tell you about the Minnesota Police Department? Well, it's not uncommon. The, the bigger issue here is whether any of these complaints are, in the technical language, sustained and whether these kind of complaints are investigated and the process by which they're investigated and whether they ultimately uh, lead to any kind of suspension or discipline. In many cases, they don't. So you can have lots of complaints against an officer and it's clear that the officer is, has a problematic record, but then uh, there's really nothing that can be done under law to, to remove them from duty. And in your experience and what you've seen so far, do you believe George Floyd's death is a turning point? Is something bound to change after this case? 
Well, it certainly has led uh, to massive demonstrations, protests, and riots that reveal uh, a huge breakdown in trust between the police uh, and the communities they serve in America, some of America's biggest cities. So if that isn't a wake-up call that many police departments' uh, internal processes need to be revisited, I don't know what will be. Well, thank you so much, Daniel DiSalvo, Senior Fellow at the Manhattan Institute and Professor of Political Science at the City College of New York, CUNY. Thank you for your time. Thank you. And as protests continue day after day in America, moments of kindness and empathy. Dozens of protesters found shelter in a stranger's home during clashes with police in Washington on Tuesday. Protesters and their supporters gathered at Rahul Dubey's home to give him a round of applause. He says he let about 70 protesters into his home the night before after he saw a brawl out on the street. Police say they did not arrest any of the protesters he sheltered. However, close to 200 other people were arrested in the same area. And footage posted on social media on Tuesday showed an officer comforting a crying girl during an anti-racism protest in Houston, Texas, after she asked, are you going to shoot us? Let's listen. Don't say that, okay? We're not here to hurt you at all. Okay? You can protest, you can party, you can do whatever you want. Just don't break up. The officer hugged five-year-old African-American Simone Barty as her mother wiped away tears and reassured her that he was there to protect them. The killing of George Floyd and the ongoing protests comes as the nation is still very much in the middle of coronavirus crisis. Floyd's autopsy revealing he tested positive for COVID-19 in early April. As Rafael Rodriguez reports, experts worry these nationwide protests could be breeding grounds for even more infections. As hundreds of thousands protest across the country demanding change, mounting concern about whether a lack of masks and social distancing could lead to coronavirus outbreaks. I see some wearing masks. I see some others not wearing masks. And so we are really trying to work with each of the mayors to expand testing availability. This comes as many states are not out of the woods yet. 18 states plus Puerto Rico are seeing the number of cases increase, including California, where L.A. County has more than 1,100 new cases on Tuesday alone. Utah, Arizona, and Texas also seeing an increase. An Oklahoma State football player testing positive, writing on Twitter, after attending a protest in Tulsa and being well protective of myself, I have tested positive for COVID-19. Please, if you're going to protest, take care of yourself and stay safe. Although most of those people look pretty healthy, we know that COVID could be out there in people with no symptoms. But there are signs of hope in the former epicenter of the outbreak, New York, where new coronavirus hospitalizations dropped to a new low. Still a warning from Governor Andrew Cuomo. If you're going to protest, protest intelligently. Remember, the COVID virus is still out there. And on Wednesday, the nation's top infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, saying the idea of keeping schools closed in the fall may not be necessary. Rafael Rodriguez, U News.
And warehouse workers at an Amazon facility in Staten Island are suing the company for allegedly putting them at risk for coronavirus. One worker is known to have died from COVID-19 at the JFK 8 warehouse, but Amazon has declined to say how many employees caught the virus. The workers claim Amazon did not provide enough hand sanitizer. The lawsuit also says the company's quarantine leave policy was inadequate and that social distancing was impossible on the job. Amazon disputes these allegations. The online retailer says it has invested $4 billion from April to June on coronavirus-related initiatives, including $800 million on safety measures. And the world's biggest movie theater chain is warning it may fall victim to the coronavirus pandemic. Wednesday, AMC Theater said it has substantial doubt it can remain in business in its current state. The theater chain says it currently has enough money to reopen this summer or later, but they are not sure beyond that. AMC has been forced to close theaters around the world because of the pandemic. And Delta Airlines is extending social distancing on flights. Wednesday, the company announced it will keep seating capacity in main cabins to 60% through September 30th. The move is in response, of of course, to the coronavirus pandemic. Delta says um, all middle seats will be shown as unavailable when booking. The company will also block some aisle seats. Delta is extending flight change waivers through June 30th. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. Your news covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, your news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. A group of vandals ransacked a dealership in San Leandro, California during protests this week, getting away with almost 90 vehicles, some very expensive. Luis Mejid spoke with the owner, an immigrant from Nicaragua, about the damage the looters caused. While many came out to protest, others took advantage of the situation to steal anything even brand new cars. In this dealership, thieves ran away with almost 90 cars. No, no, no. Eran como 200, 250 personas que no podían. The owner, Carlos Hidalgo, survived war in Nicaragua and never expected to see something like this in the United States. Walmart, Dome Depot, Kmart. Walgreens, CVS. He says that there were between 200 and 250 people. They couldn't be stopped. They found the keys inside the office and got away with every car they could find. Hidalgo was able to find some of the stolen cars, but they are damaged. Some were found without engines or tires. He says people have the right to protest, but looting has nothing to do with that. Even though he has insurance, it will take time to recoup the losses. First, the pandemic. Now, this. 2020 will be very hard to forget. In San Francisco, Luis Mejid, U News.
And now to Mexico, where an investigation is underway into a situation very similar to that of the death of George Floyd. A man in Tijuana dying in police custody when an officer placed his leg around the suspect's neck. And as David Romo explains, this isn't the first accusation of misconduct against municipal police in Tijuana. The video was initially released on March 28th, but resurfaced after George Floyd's death and the protests against police abuse in the United States. It shows a man, identified as Oliver Lopez, subdued by Tijuana's municipal police by placing one leg around his neck until he died. This type of victim provides a very strong impunity scheme to abusive authorities, and I think that encourages this kind of action to continue. Local authorities say that he was suspected of committing a crime and that the officers who inappropriately use physical force are suspended while the investigation continues. But this is not the only case under investigation. In January, a Haitian migrant died when he was arrested by municipal police in Tijuana, according to witnesses. And he didn't recover. He died here. He was handcuffed for two or three hours. When they were beating him, he was still handcuffed. Only later the police took the handcuffs off. But the truth is that it was a murder, just like in the United States. According to human rights organizations, most of the abuses are inflicted on migrants. Gaba Cortez was a victim of police abuse. They put the handcuffs on me, and they claimed it was a mistake, a mistake after they had insulted me. They told me to take the drugs out when I identified myself as a human rights defender. Activists say police abuse is recorded almost daily, and the video of Oliver Lopez's death is just one of the last shocking episodes caught on tape. Reporting by Jorge Fregoso in Tijuana, Mexico, David Romo, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.